Hello and welcome to episode number 54 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and with me as always is Tony Pauline. And Tony, it's finally here. The 2019 NFL Draft is tonight, Thursday, April 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. We made it. We did. I mean, it's almost a year-long process for me. This starts in uh, mid-May every year, so... It was a little less than 12 months ago. I was popping in the Mac film, the Akron film, to get my notes ready from the 2017 uh, season on players like Ulysses. My name is not Grant Gilbert. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're here. Don't know if I'm ready, but you, you never know if we're ready. And if we sound a little bit tired, that is because Chris and I are doing this podcast first thing in the morning. I've done about uh, 20 interviews the past two days. We were up late last night trying to get the latest information for this podcast, so if we, our voices sound a little bit strained, everyone knows why. All right, and, and as Tony said, you know we might be a little tired, but we're here with some info for you, and we're obviously fewer than 12 hours away from the Arizona Cardinals being on the clock with the number one overall pick. The rumor mill obviously still buzzing with information, both true information and false information. Tony, we'll start off with recent trade talks. Who wants to move up and who wants to move down? Let's start with the teams that want to move down. Obviously, we've mentioned multiple times that the Jets want to move down. I wrote an article on it earlier this week. I've been told they're almost desperate to move down. Now, the question is, will they be able to make a deal? A lot of people think it may be difficult. There are some that think there are multiple teams that want that third selection. The question is, with the Jets, is if they can't make a deal, who are they going to select? Because most people are stumped at this point in time which direction the Jets will go if they have to hold on to that third pick. The Jets deserve credit for that. Right now, I have them taking Josh Allen in my final mock draft, primarily due to our report a few weeks ago that they are going to prioritize edge rushers and offensive linemen in the draft. We've obviously talked a lot about the Jets' intentions over the past couple weeks here. Are there any other teams that you're hearing want to move down from their selections? I'm told the Miami Dolphins are looking to move down from the 13th selection, and they could be in a good position to do so, especially if two quarterbacks come off the board rather early. Either the New York Giants or the Washington Redskins are likely to move up to secure a passer. The Detroit Lions have publicly stated that they will entertain offers to move down from the 8th slot, and people tell me they believe it's almost a definite that the Lions will have multiple offers and the ability to move down. Now, besides possibly the Redskins and the Giants, two NFC East teams picking in the teens who are in dire need of a quarterback this season, who else would be looking to move up and possibly be trade partners with some of these teams we've mentioned already? I continue to hear that the Atlanta Falcons are having conversations on moving up. They want Ed Oliver badly, but the question right now is how far would they have to move up to ensure selecting Ed Oliver? Right now, it looks like you may have to get up to the number three spot where the Jets are in, in order to get Oliver, and that may cost a lot as far as picks are concerned. The two other teams I hear who will try and move up for a left tackle are the Minnesota Vikings as well as the Houston Texans. Now, the Raiders at number four have been bandied about quite a bit as a potential landing spot for Oliver in recent days, meaning, as you said, it would be quite expensive for Atlanta to move up for him. Now, let's assume the Falcons do try to pull off a deal and swap their 14th pick for the Jets' number three selection. That would likely cost Atlanta its first-round pick next season at the very least. Now, would the Jets be willing to drop that far back to pick up a future first-rounder, considering the kind of win-now mandate that seems to be facing general manager Mike McCagnin? Mike McCagnin and a few other people, and I'm going to say highly unlikely, and here's why. You know, the Jets 
want picks now. And as I've stated in the past, from what I'm hearing, they would take less than market value to trade down. I could see a scenario where the Jets take a second and third round pick in this year's draft, as well as maybe a second round pick in the 2020 draft for a move like that. And that's significantly less than uh, dropping that far down usually commands. But as, as we've spoken about several times, Mike McCagney needs players for this season, not 2020. That's enough trade talk for us for now. We'll wrap up draft season now with a nice little bow here and just go position by position with the latest we're hearing around the league about team boards, players who might be rising and falling. And we do have to start with one of the most discussed topics today in America. And no, I'm not talking about the Mueller report, talking about the quarterback position and whether the Cardinals will go through with what's been rumored for months at this point and draft Kyler Murray first overall. You know, I had a conversation with somebody on Monday who told me that they believe Murray to the Cardinals is a done deal. And when I asked why, he told me that he believes it's too far gone with Josh Rosen. You just can't bring Josh Rosen back into the mix in Arizona. Yesterday, I spoke with a separate source who told me it's just a very uncomfortable situation for Rosen at the Cardinal facility. And his teammates believe that he's going to be traded. Now, when I spoke with my first source who told me that he believed Murray to the Cardinals is a done deal, I asked him, you know, how does how would Josh Rosen even fit in a Cliff Kingsbury offense? And the response I received was, well, how does a Cliff Kingsbury offense fit in the NFL? And the comparisons were made to Chip Kelly and the struggles and the failures that he had bringing that type of offense into the NFL. You know, overall, I think it's a big mess right now in Arizona, and it was created primarily because the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury. I know there are people who work directly under general manager Steve Kime who don't want to trade Josh Rosen, who don't want to select Kyler Murray. They think it's a big mistake considering all the capital that was given up to move up and get uh, Josh Rosen, the money that was paid out to Rosen, the money that they're going to have to pay out to Kyler Murray in the signing bonus, and you're basically starting from square one. Again, go back to uh, something I've been saying over and over. When I was at the Combine, somebody told me, when you make a hire like Cliff Kingsbury, which is a questionable hire to begin with, you better make sure he has all the tools and players that he feels he needs and is comfortable with to win at the next level. We all know how Cliff Kingsbury feels about Kyler Murray. I mean, this is really, as far as I see it, a boomer bust scenario, almost a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If they select Kyler Murray and trade Josh Rosen, there's going to be red flags. If they bring Josh Rosen back, there's going to be red flags. It's just, in my opinion, it's just an insane situation that they basically created themselves. Yeah, I mean, this all stems from rumors. And obviously, once Kingsbury got hired and the Cardinals had the number one pick, people connected the dots with his comments from earlier in the season that if I had the number one pick, I would take Kyler Murray. But they kind of let it fester. They ran with it a little bit rather than squashing that or saying, no, you know, it's a whole different situation now. They didn't really do that. And I absolutely agree with you here that it's too far gone with Josh Rose. And I mentioned that point on a few radio spots recently. You can't flirt with Kyler Murray this long and this hard and expect everything to be peachy going back to Rosen if you end up passing on Murray for, say, Nick Bosa or Quinn and Williams or trading the pick. You can talk about smoke screens all you want and building up Kyler Murray to drive up the value of the number one pick, but Murray's been in the building, and he's been there at the same time as Rosen. So it's not like they're not legitimately doing their homework and there's been a lot of smoke, and there's also been some fire even though the draft hasn't even started yet. Obviously, Rosen, to his credit here, has really handled this situation quite well. 
which kind of goes against everything people have said about his personality leading up to the draft and in the past few weeks as well and the entitlement he has and, and whatever else is going on. But the bottom line is this marriage between Rosen and the Cardinals is going to be annulled and it's really past the point of no return here. Yeah, it's not just Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, if you remember Steve Keim at the Combine saying Josh Rosen is our quarterback for now. And really, those two words kind of set people in motion. And you're right, you know, to Josh Rosen's credit, I think he's handled it well. People have told me that whatever happens, he's ready to accept it, whether it's playing in Arizona, whether it's playing for another team next year. He really doesn't care about that. He just wants to play. So, but again, this is of their own doing. I mean, this basically all started with the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury, which a lot of people at the time thought was a questionable hire. I mean, maybe we're all wrong. Uh, maybe uh, this all works out for the Arizona Cardinals. But if we're right, I expect a lot of people to get fired in December. It'll be really interesting to see where the state of the Cardinals franchise is six months from now. You know, you can't say things, as you said, like for now and expect people not to run with it and go crazy. Again, maybe it was planted there. Maybe it's a smokescreen. I am really having doubts about that, especially when you're talking about the quarterback position, when you have a guy you drafted last year and moved up to take. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is of their own doing, so we'll have to see where it goes. Assuming Murray does end up going number one here, where does Rosen then get traded to? There have obviously been some rumors that the Cardinals would be willing to keep both. Again, likely a leverage play and a smokescreen. But what are you hearing as far as potential suitors for Rosen? Yeah, I'm told right now that the Redskins are out of the Josh Rosen market. Whether that has to do with Daniel Snyder reportedly taking over the war room, I don't know. I do know that the Giants are back in the conversation. And I'm told the sleeper team showing interest right now are the Miami Dolphins, who are in desperate need of a quarterback. Dan Snyder just can't help himself, can he? I mean, it's not like he has a great infrastructure in place in D.C., but this man needs to just stay behind closed doors and watch the team from afar at this point, no? I mean, you know, you look at where the Redskins were when Dan Snyder really had his fingerprints and was involved and was flying around the country scouting quarterbacks. And then what happened, how the uh, organization seemed to move in the right direction when he let other people take over. Uh, I guess some people just never learn. Let's go to running backs, Tony. What's the latest at the position here in the backfield? Right now, the only consensus is that Josh Jacobs is the top running back. After that, the running back boards are all over the place from team to team. Now, it's really hard to disagree with Jacobs being at the top there, considering his size, his ability as a runner, the impact he can make as a receiver, and also the fact that he really doesn't have much tread on his tires. In your latest mock draft, you do have the Raiders taking Jacobs, but you have them taking him with the 35th overall pick. Do you think there's a chance that an all-around weapon like Jacobs could end up sliding into the first round? Yes. Uh, last night I was told the Raiders could very likely use their third pick in the first round, the 27th selection to draft Jacobs. There are some people who tell me that Jacobs did not interview well and he could slide in the second round, but there's also a feeling that the uh, Raiders could take him at the end of round one. Now let's look at the receivers here. How many receivers can go in the first round? Right now the only consensus first round receiver is Marquis Brown of Oklahoma. After that, there are some people who feel that A.J. Brown of Mississippi could slide into the late part of round one. And a few tell me that they think Nikhil Harry will also end up in one of those final selections of round one. Now, do you have any idea which team is looking at A.J. Brown the most and likes them the most? I've been told the New England Patriots really like A.J. Brown and there's some speculation out there he could be the number one receiver on their board. Now, speaking of Mississippi, what are the odds that D.K. Metcalf, Brown's more athletic but less productive and more injury-prone teammate, ends up in round one. 
I'd say right now it's 10%, which would have shocked a lot of people two months ago at the end of the combine. But the fact is, as we've been saying all along, DK Metcalf is a great athlete. He's a very average football player. He's a very average receiver who needs a lot of work on his game. Are there any receivers who could be selected much earlier than anyone anticipates? The name to remember is Deontay Johnson of Toledo. We're not talking first round here. I presently grade Johnson as a late fourth, early fifth round selection, but several teams have stamped him as a third round prospect. They like the fact that he's lethal from the slot. He can also really impact games as a return specialist. I'm told the Patriots would consider taking him in round three. I got Andy Isabella going to the Patriots in my three-round mock in the third round, but it could end up being Deontay Johnson. Especially if Isabella ends up being off the board by then. And this brings us to the other pass catchers at the tight end position. Tony, you have three being selected in round one in that latest mock draft. You mentioned TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant out of Iowa and Irv Smith Jr. from Alabama. Now, you have them mocked there. Do you think all three end up actually going in the first round Thursday night? Probably not. From what I'm hearing right now, the consensus is two. The two Iowa kids, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fanta, first rounders, while Irv Smith will be on the outside looking in. Now, while you have Smith being selected by the Patriots with the 32nd pick in that mock, you do mention that Noah Fant is a better fit for their system. Do you think there's any chance Fant slides down to the Patriots as the second tight end taken? None whatsoever. But... I've been told the Patriots will seriously consider trading up for Fant. That's how much they like him. Now, after the top three, which is kind of seen as the consensus at the tight end position, who's going to be the fourth player off the board among the tight ends? Our rankings say it's Dawson Knox of Mississippi, then Jay Sternberger of Texas A&M. But several people I've spoken with tell me it's very possible that Josh Oliver of San Jose State is the fourth tight end off the board. Now, we'll move into the trenches next, but first... Please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. On to the offensive line now, Tony. Will Florida's Juwan Taylor end up being the first offensive lineman selected despite being Pegged as a right tackle only by many, including us. And what's the latest on his medicals? Right now, everything I'm hearing says the first offensive lineman off the board is going to be Andre Dillard of Washington State. I think he's a perfect fit for the Buffalo Bills, though the Bills could go defensive line with that ninth selection. As far as Juwan Taylor's medicals are concerned, it's in the eye of the beholder, as it usually is in the case with medicals around the league. Some teams are concerned about his knee and his weight fluctuations, while others believe it won't be a problem. So in what order will the top three of Dillard, Taylor, and Alabama's Jonah Williams end up coming off the board? Right now, I think it goes Andre Dillard, Jawan Taylor, then Jonah Williams. Now, you mentioned the Bills already. Which team do you think Dillard eventually ends up with, whether it's Buffalo or not? I'm hearing three different scenarios for Andre Dillard. Number one, Jacksonville selects him with the seventh pick. Number two, Buffalo takes him at number nine, which I previously mentioned, and that's where I have him mocked. And the third scenario I'm hearing is that either the Minnesota Vikings or the Houston Texans trade up with the Detroit Lions to move into that eighth spot and draft Dillard. Any other blockers that are going to be selected in the first round? Cody Ford of Oklahoma is likely to to go in the uh, 20s somewhere. And Chris Lindstrom is a borderline first-round pick, though I grade him as a second-round prospect. I'm told the hype 
is not real on Lindstrom being a mid-first-round choice, as some have him. Now, what is it about Lindstrom that teams like so much? I know that we gushed about his workout after the combine, especially since many weren't expecting him to be the type of athlete that he showed in Indy. They love his grittiness. They love his smarts, his versatility. But more than anything else, they believe he's a safe pick. You know what you're getting with Lindstrom. There's no potential weight issues like with Cody Ford, no potential knee issues with Juwan Taylor. He doesn't have the great upside, but Lindstrom is just very steady and very consistent. Now, Tony, it's been well documented that the strength of this draft is on the defensive line. You've been on record since last December that this could be a historic year for D linemen. We'll start with Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State. We did break the story on this podcast a week ago that his heart condition was sending up red flags around the league. Is there a definitive word on his situation as of yet? The short answer is no. There are some teams that think his stock is going to drop a long way because of the heart issue, and there are others who think it will only have a minor effect on his stock. The Indianapolis Colts, for example, believe that uh, Montez Sweat will be available to them when they are called to the clock with the 34th pick in round two. They mentioned on Wednesday that Christian Wilkins out of Clemson, the defensive tackle, is heating up around draft boards over the league here. Where do you think he lands in the first round? If the Lions can't trade down, they could take him with the eighth pick. The Bills would also consider him with the ninth selection. I'm told the Atlanta Falcons really like Christian Wilkins. He's kind of their contingency plan for Ed Oliver. If, the, if he's there at 14, I think the Falcons would be overjoyed and would swipe him up. Now, a week ago on this podcast, we correctly predicted the Frank Clark trade, and you spoke at length about it last week on the John Clayton show. The Seahawks, though, now have a gaping hole at pass rusher, but also have an extra first-round pick to work with as a result of that trade. In your mock draft, you have Seattle selecting Jalen Ferguson with the pick they got from the Chiefs. How credible is the Seahawks' interest in the Louisiana Tech pass rusher? Yeah, I'm told the Seahawks really like Ferguson a lot and had been doing a ton of homework on him even before the Frank Clark trade with the Kansas City Chiefs went down. Now, the biggest question along the interior defensive line is where Jeffrey Simmons ends up in the draft. Teams do seem comfortable with his character after that incident from several years ago, but now he has his injury to deal with, obviously. You have the Los Angeles Chargers right now selecting him with the 28th overall pick. Which other teams are going to be interested in Simmons? If Simmons gets past the 28th pick, I've been told there's a very real possibility that the Green Bay Packers select him with the 30th choice, their second selection in the first round. Now we'll hit the second level with the linebackers here. It's basically the Devons at the top of the draft with LSU's Devin White and Michigan's Devin Bush. Then it's a pretty big drop into that next tier of off-ball linebackers. How high do you think Bush ends up getting selected? You know, on my mock, I have the Raiders selecting him with the 24th selection. On Wednesday night, two people told me that the Denver Broncos are considering selecting Bush with the 10th selection. That would be a shocker to me because I don't think he deserves to go that high. And while I don't necessarily believe it, that's the word out there that the Broncos could take Devin Bush with the 10th pick of the draft. Now, do you think that drop off I mentioned after White and Bush could end up kind of conspiring to push Bush further up the board than if there were more options available early on day two? I mean, it could, but what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of good linebackers going the third round, uh, and you never really know what John Elway is going to do. I have Mac Wilson of Alabama being selected in round two, ironically, to those same Denver Broncos, but a lot of people I've spoken with tell me there'll be no linebackers selected in round two, but almost a half a dozen in the third round. 
Now finish up the show this week with the defensive backs. And Tony, let's start with the safeties. Deontay Thompson continues to slide down draft boards after not running for scouts a few weeks ago. We have him rated as a third-round prospect. Do you think he could slide even later and possibly onto day three? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, several people continue to tell me that Thompson will fall out of the draft's top 100 picks. What a fall for a guy that was once considered a surefire first-round prospect at one point during the season. Well, the thing about underclassmen is you never know about their athleticism. Now, Deontay Thompson didn't run, as we documented on DraftAnalyst.com. But the other issue is, is, you know, he had a poor vertical jump. Uh, I believe it was 33 inches, and he was barely, uh, he wasn't even 10 feet in the broad jump. And when scouts look at those numbers, and he doesn't run the 40, you're looking at a guy that may not be able to break 4.7 in the 40. Now, it's been universally accepted at this point that Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State is going to be the first safety drafted. Do you think that holds true Thursday night? Not necessarily. I mean, there are a lot of people who believe either Darnell Savage of Maryland or Juan Thornhill of Virginia will be the first safeties off the board. You know, we've talked about Thornhill's rise up draft boards for the past couple of weeks, stating he's the uh, fastest rising safety. Uh, Savage has made a late push. Like Thornhill, a lot of people think he's a safety that can easily transition to uh, cornerback, which is why he's moved up board so quickly. Gives me an easy transition here to the cornerback position. The last one we'll talk about on the show. What's going on there with boards around the league? You know, I wrote an article several weeks ago about the cornerback boards being in flux around the league, and that's exactly what happened. We talked about it on this podcast as well. The bottom line is, is if you take the cornerback boards from 10 different teams, they're not going to be similar. That's how different it is with Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker, players like that all over the place. So I think we're going to see a couple of surprises or, you know, something players go higher and later at the cornerback position than we have originally predicted or talked about the past couple of weeks. Now, as you alluded to, cornerback is really going to be the kind of toss-up position on defense in terms of how teams have players graded. Obviously, every team is going to have their unique preferences, both based on their systems and how they view the players individually. Piggybacking a bit off that before we wrap up, which offensive position, by comparison, is the most in flux? Is it running back? Is it receiver? Or is it one of the other positions? Oh, I think it's absolutely running back. I mean, the only thing we know about running back is Josh Jacobs is going to be the first back selected. After that, it's, you know, anybody's guess. I have Damian Harris as my second rated back, and there was a report yesterday that league-wide Damian Harris is overall the highest rated back after Josh Jacobs. But I think, you know, it's anybody's guess with David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, who a lot of people like, Daryl Henderson of uh, Memphis, Again, like the cornerback position, the running backs and where they fall could be a big surprise to a lot of people. And that's all for the 54th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We've mentioned our latest mock draft several times at this point. And that's up on the site right now, in addition to Tony's surprise risers and small school studs from the recent days. So head on over to DraftAnalyst.com to check all that out before it's too late. And stay with us for all of our coverage during Draft Weekend as well. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi, and we'll see you soon.